Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Hey everyone, welcome and thank you for continuing with us at First Alliance. My name is Tim and we just love studying scripture. So you have your Bible, feel free to open up to Luke chapter 21 verses 5 to 19, and kind of just keep that open up on your screen or your lap in front of you. Many of us in our Bibles have these headers, and I'm looking at an NIV version, and the header for that section is called The Destruction of the Temple and Signs of the End Times. Now, those headers, like the chapters and verses, aren't in the original text, but editors put them there to kind of guide us and help us and direct us. Mine says, The Destruction of the Temple, Signs of the End Time. That's a little hint that we're talking about a specific event of the destruction of the temple and signs of the end times. Now, I think one of the realities is when you talk about the end times, most people's minds go to what? They think of Revelation. They think of, I don't know, the Left Behind series. They think about uh, all these things about the final days. Yet if you read the biblical narrative, what is often referred to as the end times or this present age is actually a time period between the first coming of Jesus and his second coming. See, when Jesus, for those new to the Bible, basically the story of Scripture that we see in the Bible is the beginning, God created the world, yet humankind chose to sin. And the Old Testament is God pursuing his people, Israel, calling them to worship him, even though they've turned their back on him. The second half of the Bible is the New Testament, where Jesus comes to this earth. He lives a perfect life. He is crucified on the cross, yet he rises from the dead, overcoming sin. And from there, starting in the book of Acts, you have the beginning of the early church, the call for us Christians to go into the world and share this good news of Jesus with others until his final return, which is spoken about in the book of Revelation. When we think of the end times, we often think of that last book of the Bible. But we really need to think that the end times, or this present age, is really from the time that Jesus first came until his second coming. Also in today's text, specifically in verses 5 to 19, Jesus is talking and pointing to a historical event that will happen roughly 35 years after his, after his death and resurrection. And that event is the destruction of the temple in the year 70 AD. Keep those two events in mind, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD and the fact that we are living in these end times just like the disciples of Jesus were living in the end times in this present age as we go through this text. So if you have your Bibles, just join with me as I read Luke 21, verses 5 to 19. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming, I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, 
Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famine, and pestilence in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourself, for I will give you the words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, sisters, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. The word of the Lord. You can just imagine the scene. It opens up in verse 5, 6, and the disciples have just walked into the temple and they're looking at this magnificent structure. And they're just probably in awe and amazed. Wow, what a beautiful place. That's what stood, you know, Persian rule and Greek rule and Roman rule, a place for us Jewish people to gather and worship the one true God. And then Jesus, almost seemingly like he woke up on the wrong side of the bed, simply turns to them and says, hey, everything you see here, give it some time. It's all going to be torn to the ground. It's interesting. Like if you ever have seen something magnificent like the Rocky Mountains or the Taj Mahal, you know, to imagine it being destroyed and torn down, it must have shocked the disciples. Jerusalem, the temple, was the heart of Jewish life. It was the heart of worship. It was the place where God resided. Yet here's Jesus simply telling them, As for what you see here, there will come a time when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. In some regards, I feel like the disciples were used to Jesus' kind of outlandish statements because they didn't even blink. They were like, no way, this is not going to happen. They believed Jesus. And they didn't doubt him at all, but what they simply asked him for was a sign. Jesus, tell us, How will we know when these things will happen? Is what they ask him in verse 7. And Jesus highlights two things. Do not be deceived and do not be frightened. You know, your sign, do not be deceived. People will come saying that they are me. And people will come saying the time has come. But don't believe them. And also, don't be frightened. You're going to hear of wars, uprisings, rebellions, earthquakes, famines, and all these great catastrophes happening. But don't be frightened. And something interesting in verse 12 that he notes, but before all this. You know, if verses 8 to 11 were kind of what was going to happen on a global scale, verses 12 to 19 would be what would happen to his disciples. And don't forget, Jesus is talking about a specific event the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in the year 70 A.D., about 35 years after Jesus has spoken these words. And look at that list that he gives his disciples in verse 12 to 18. People are going to seize you. They're going to persecute you. People are going to put you in prison. You're going to be dragged in front of kings and governors and forced to testify in front of them for my sake and for my name. You're going to be betrayed by who? The people closest to you. Your parents, brothers, sisters, relatives, and friends. 
and everyone will hate you because of me. I don't know what it's like to be a disciple of Jesus walking right beside him in those days, but how shocking would that be? They were just admiring this beautiful temple, and Jesus told them in 30 seconds, this is going to be torn down, and you're, there's going to be catastrophe all across the globe, but before that, you're going, to be, you're going to suffer, be persecuted, harmed, hated, and betrayed by those you love. This thing has gone completely sideways, probably, in the eyes of the disciples. Yet here they are, just probably taking in those words. And I'm, I'm really thankful to Alistair Begg uh, in his sermon about this, that he really helped me see that if you look at verses 12 to 18, you're just simply looking at a blueprint of the book of Acts. Think about it. Seize and persecute you? We get that with Acts 7 in the story of Stephen. Throwing in prison, Paul and Silas in Acts 16. You know, before kings and governors, we see that with uh, John and Peter in Acts 4, and then later on with Paul dragged before Agrippa and Felix. We see the Jewish disciples betrayed by their family, friends, brothers, their countrymen and women, those closest to them turning their backs on them, and they hated them because of their faith in Jesus. What Jesus is speaking to here is simply the life of the early church. He's giving a heads up to the life to the early, those who are followers of Jesus that the next while is going to be pretty horrendous and there's going to be some really difficult times ahead. So, my question is, has Jesus actually given them the sign yet? The answer is no, but if we look at verse 20, we actually see the sign singular in verse 7 that the disciples have asked for that Jesus finally gives them in verse 20. You see, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you will know that its destruction or desolation is near. The disciples asked for a sign, and Jesus gave them verse 20. When you see Jerusalem surrounded. You see, when Jerusalem was surrounded, what would, hap what would happen about 30 years after Jesus' death? In 66 AD, there would be a riot or rebellion in the city of Jerusalem where the Jewish people chased out some of the Roman legions and armies and their commander. Well, the Romans weren't going to take that, so they came back in the year 70 AD. They besieged Jerusalem and surrounded the city for five months. Just imagine someone surrounding the city of Toronto for five months, not allowing people to go or come we would starve. The city of Toronto doesn't produce enough food for us, for three million people locally for us to survive. Yet here is a siege happening to Jerusalem, and after five months, they crumble. The city is overrun, and the temple is destroyed, brick by brick, torn down. The home of the Jews, their place of worship, the gathering house for the nations to experience God's presence, destroyed. And the sign? Verse 20. When you see the city surrounded, you will know that this is going to happen. You see, we know it's not talking about the end times because if we keep reading verses 20 onward, and we're going to explore this text next week as well, but if you keep reading after this, you will see there's warnings to run away and flee. The Gentiles will be there for a longer time until a particular time of fulfillment. This is clearly not talking about the last time when Jesus comes to gather his people to be with him forever. This is talking about a specific event in AD 70 of, of Jerusalem's temple being destroyed. 
Now, some of you may say, oh, thank you, Tim. Thank you for the history lesson of what happened to the early uh, followers of Jesus. But honestly, what does this have to do with my life? You know, I think the question that we actually need to understand this text and how it applies to us is we need to ask, why does Jesus share all this horrible news with his disciples? Think about it. Like, do you want me to come up to you and say, hey, this is going to be your life. Your mom's going to kick you out of the house. You're going to be homeless. You're going to be beaten up. Uh, your best friend's going to die. People are going to try to kill you. You're going to, be, you're going to have to suffer disease, illness, loneliness, depression, and that's going to be your life. Like, how is that good news? How is that providing you any sort of hope? Yet Jesus tells his disciples about the road ahead. Why? Because he wants to equip his disciples to stand firm in order to win life. There's the key in verse 19. Stand firm through all of this and you will win life. You see, one of the first things that Jesus is doing is he's equipping his disciples for the road ahead. For someone who's been recently diagnosed with cancer, one of the best things a medical team can do for them is simply tell them what the journey ahead entails. So you've, if they've been diagnosed, well, here's what we're going to try to do. And if the you know, prognosis is good, then we'll switch to this. If it's not good, you'll have about this much time to live. If so, maybe this will be your remission period. You know, all those details. Giving that sort of roadmap plan about what is ahead allows the patient to what? To adjust and to prepare and be ready for the hard road that is ahead. You see, Jesus is doing the same with his disciples. He wants them to know what is ahead because he wants them to be prepared. He, and he loves them so much that he doesn't leave them in the dark, but he lets them know about what's coming so that they can be equipped to stand firm and win life. That's not a life on this earth of like a long life of health. That's eternal life. Jesus has told them some of them will lose their lives, but what he wants them, he wants for them is that they will live with him forever in his presence when he comes for the second time to gather all believers to himself. One of my friends, uh, they recently lost their 11-year-old son in a, someone had run a, a pedestrian crossing while their son was headed home from school. And that happened just over two months ago. And I just, I can't imagine their grief and just what it's like to be even a parent and go through that and journey with the rest of, of, of their kids through that sort of pain and loss. Yet as I've been following kind of what they've been posting and how, they've, how they still can praise God in the midst of this, uh, of suffering and horror, I remember one thing he said was, it's almost as if the rest of our life, before Jude's passing, God had prepared us so we could carry on afterwards and continue to cling to him. You know, that's no easy thing to actually live out. But what, what he, the parents are seeing is that what God had done before for them, how he had revealed himself to them in Scripture about who he was and his truth and the promises that we see in Scripture, how they were able to draw close to him in intimacy and prayer, how they were able to live in communion with other believers in, in small groups and in community. 
built the bedrock or the foundation that allowed them to persevere and stand firm in the face of suffering and evil. You see, Jesus is calling his disciples to expect difficulties in the road ahead, yet realize that God is sovereign, that God is in control, and somehow through it all, he is with us along the journey. As I was preparing for the sermon, I was thinking, what would be a word of blessing? Uh, and what is God saying? I think one of the things that I see from this that we can apply to our lives is simply this idea. Use the seasons of peace in our life to prepare for, uh, for the seasons of trouble ahead. Let me say that again. Use the seasons of peace in your life and calm to prepare for the trouble that is ahead. You see, as followers of Jesus, we're going to experience difficulties and challenges and troubles. That should come as no surprise. But it's also no surprise to our sovereign God. So use the seasons in your life that are more peaceful to dig into Scripture, to grow in your understanding of God's Word and who He is, to spend time on your knees praying and drawing into the presence of God, whether that's privately in your home or joining us for our Wednesday night prayer meeting or praying in your small group as well. And I think a real key, and this is why we love small groups, is because small groups are a place to gather around Scripture in prayer, in community, drawing into God's presence so that as a community, we can grow closer in order to be sent out into His world, that we can be faithful to the call that He puts on our life. You see, seasons of peace allow us to prepare. And, and so just one of the realities is one you're going through a difficult season, a tough time, grieving the loss or just feeling alone or struggling with depression in the midst of COVID-19, it's, it's, it's really hard to reach out to others in those seasons, isn't it? Yet the reality is if we are already rooted in community, if we are rooted in Scripture and prayer, before we go through those troubled times, it allows us to stand firm in the midst of those troubled times. So my encouragement to you is get connected, spend time in Scripture, cry out to God in prayer, and continue to draw into Him if this is a season of peace in your life. God wants to prepare the disciples for the road ahead. He also, he also wants them to understand how this present age works in light of eternity. There's a little graph that's going to open up in front of you. It's kind of a simple timeline of the Bible's story. When we think of the end times, we often think of Revelation, the final book in the Bible. But really, the story of Scripture starts with creation. And the age that we live in, this present age, begins with Jesus' first coming and ends when he returns for the final time to gather his people to himself. Why is this important to understand? Because we live in this time period between his first and second coming. And so did the disciples of Jesus. And here's the reality. When Jesus first came and died on the cross, he overcame evil, death, and suffering. Yet the reality is we live in a time period where that still exists, but we know that when he returns for the second time, that will be eradicated once for all. We can live our lives now knowing that God has overcome injustice, evil, suffering, and sin, yet we will, it will be fully realized when he returns for the second time. That realization helps us to stand firm in the midst of trouble. When we experience trouble and turmoil, 
we can stand firm. Here's the, here's just a simple reality. I don't want to go through suffering. I'm sure most of you are like, I mean, maybe some of you are like, yeah, bring on the suffering, but I, even the tough things in my life, I wouldn't want to go through them again. But here, here are some things that happen when we go through difficult times. We have to remember that suffering is temporary. It's an opportunity for growth and a chance to glorify God. Suffering is temporary. And some, I think when we keep that eternal perspective, that we live in this present age, that evil is here but will be overcome, that we know that God, this battle will be won because our sovereign Lord has already won it. It allows us to persevere in a way that we normally wouldn't be able to. You see, when people who don't know Jesus go through hard times, there's no guarantee that there's, there's any good on the other side. Yet for us who follow Jesus, we know even if the suffering is 5, 10, or the rest of our lives, there's still something to look forward to. Difficulties are temporary. Secondly, they're an opportunity for growth. I don't think there's anything I've been through in my life uh, that has helped me grow as much as the hardest times. And some of you can relate to this. Sometimes it's, it's the battle, uh, a medical battle. It's struggles with mental health. It's a dry season, like a dark night of the soul where you just couldn't experience God's presence in your life. When we come through those seasons, in some ways we know God in a more deep and intimate way that we didn't know before we went through those times. Now, just a word of encouragement for those who feel like I haven't really gone through anything really huge in my life. This is why I'm glad we're part of a community here at First Alliance that's like a multi-generational community. Find those people who are older than you who've gone through difficult times. I'm talking, you know, people closer to the end of their life than the beginning of their life and just pick their brain and understand how God has worked in their heart, what they've learned through trouble and suffering and how God has carried them onward. You see, being mentored and learning from our older generations will be a huge blessing that will help you persevere in your life. And I just have a word of blessing for those older adults in our congregation. Our world sometimes says, you know, there's almost no value or meaning once you're past you know, the age of 40 or 50. But here's the reality. You hold the testimonies that will help the next generations persevere. So I encourage you to continue to pour out and be a blessing, share your stories, mentor and grow uh, the generations younger than you. This is the blessing of being part of an intergenerational community is that we can learn from each other. Difficulties are temporary. They're an opportunity for growth and mentorship. And finally, they're a chance to glorify God. You know, when COVID-19 struck, there were a few people who were well-prepared. They had their bunkers ready to go, and they climbed into those bunkers, and who knows if they've even left those since they climbed into them back in March. Yet, one of the realities or the calls for the church of God is that we're not a bunker. We're more like a barracks. And let me explain. A bunker is a place you go and you hide away until it's all over, and then it's safe to come back out. Sometimes Christians climb into bunkers hoping, Lord, come, Lord Jesus, come and just get me out of here and let this all be over. Yet the reality is we're more like a barracks. That's a place where those in wartime go to rest, sleep, and grab their supplies. So why? So they can get back out there and continue to fight a good fight, to stand firm and to win life. 
when we, the church, see ourselves in that light, we come to a gathering like this on Sunday morning, we come to our small group or our prayer groups, and we gather, and we spend time in Scripture, in prayer, in community together, challenging and calling and serving one another, whether we're going through a good season or a bad season. And then we call one another to go back out there. We are the church that's gathered so we can be scattered. So when we go back to our homes, our workplaces, our families who are hostile to Christ, when we experience trouble, persecution, and suffering, in Christ's name, we can stand firm and win life. So my blessing for you this week is continue to press into Christ. He is preparing us for this long road ahead. He wants us to understand time so that we can keep one eye on eternity by, but stay completely here in the present as well so that the church of God, the people of God can gather and be sent out to proclaim his name until the day of his return that we may stand fast and stand firm in order to win life. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.